We're in a series today called Questioning Christianity. We started it a couple weeks ago, and each week we're looking at one objection, one problem that uh, people typically have with Christianity and the culture. And this week we're looking at a, a very difficult one. It's the problem of exclusivity. And the question usually is posed like this. How can you possibly claim that your religion is the only true religion? In the world that we live in uh, today, how could you claim and, and insist that you have the corner on truth? How could you claim that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation? And this claim, I think, is very, uh, it's prevalent, especially in our day, especially in our culture, because we live in a, a pluralistic world. And, you know, several hundred years ago, when, uh, you know, Christianity was dominant in the West, it was very possible to be a Christian, and uh, it was easy to be a Christian. It was easy to believe that Jesus was the only way, because everybody around you believed that Jesus was the only way. And if you didn't believe that, you were dissenting from the mainstream. But now, uh, in our culture that's pluralistic, like we said, and that, you know, there are people all around us that, that believe differently, it's a little bit harder to insist that, that we have the one true religion. And, and think about it, you know, many of you, you've got, you've got friends and coworkers that might be Muslim or uh, Hindu or Buddhist or agnostic or atheist. Uh, we live and work with people that, that differ widely from, from us. Uh, more and more in the modern world. And I think it's harder and harder to believe that we have the corner on truth. I was watching an interview uh, uh, this past week, and it was uh, uh, Martin Bashir was uh, uh, interviewing Tim Keller about Christian faith, the MSNBC uh, host. And and he, he was pretty calm most of the interview, but there was one point where Bashir got heated. And he looked at Keller and says, he said, how could you believe? He said that, that intelligent, you know, good people of other religions, uh, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, how could you believe that they are not going to get to God? How do you believe, how can you believe that they're wrong in this day and age? And I I admit this is a formidable uh, objection for me. And, and, and how do we answer it? And how do we answer it? Because, you know, today, when we're, we're living in the world that we are, you know, we, we also have to, we've got to evangelize as Christians. You know, there's a very, very practical nature to this. And, uh, you know, in a culture that thinks, like, it's almost wrong to evangelize and, and try to convince other people that your belief is right, how do we do that? How do we believe this in our modern world? That's, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, I want to do it by uh, first uh, looking at the place where Jesus does make an exclusive claim. Uh, does Christianity really teach that Jesus is the only way? And then we're going to look at four objections that we're going to try to answer. And then finally, we're going to look at a challenge. And uh, as I you know, was studying this week, I, I just was starting to think, yeah, this is going to sound more like a lecture than a sermon uh, most of it is dry, and I'm, it's not going to be terribly exciting. Uh, but, but at the end, application is coming, and I, uh, I can't promise you that I, that, I might get, that I might not get a little excited at the end. So uh, let's just jump into it. Uh, John 4, 14. We'll look at the claim that Jesus makes, the exclusive claim. And uh, the context of the passage is that Jesus is uh, this is the final hours of his life, and he's about ready to go to the, the cross. 
His disciples are, are gathered around him. They're all nervous. They're all afraid. And Jesus makes the statement. He says, I'm going away. I'm leaving. In, in a few short hours, I'm going to be going away. And this time, you cannot follow me. But he says, I'm going to, to prepare a place for you. I'm going to the Father where there are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place where you can go. And he says, and you know the way. You know the way to get there. And then good old Thomas, and you got to love Thomas. He pipes up, and Thomas wants clarity. He's one of those guys, you know, he's, he's smart, he's skeptical, he's got all sorts of uh, mi- misapprehensions and doubts about what Jesus is saying. He wants clarity, and maybe that's how you are this morning. You're, you're one of those people when the teacher is lecturing or when the sermon is going, you have all these uh, questions in your mind, but yeah, but what about this, and what about that, and how about this, and you, have all, you almost want to raise your hand and say, hey, wait. That's how Thomas is, and maybe you relate to him. He says, Jesus, you say you're going away, and you say, that, you say that we know the way. Well, let me just tell you, we don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. Jesus, give me clarity. I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean we know the way? And then it opens up the door for Jesus to make this stunning claim. In verse 6, Jesus looks at Thomas, and he says, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there it is. There's the exclusive claim. And I want you to notice how bold it is. Jesus doesn't say, I'm a prophet or I'm a teacher and I'm pointing to you the way to life or the way to get to heaven. Jesus is saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the path to which all the other teachers and prophets point. I'm not just pointing the way, I am the way, I am the truth. This was a stunning claim. Challenging now, it was challenging back then. It was one of the reasons why Jesus was crucified. You just don't say things like that. And it's not only stunning, notice it's exclusive, very exclusive. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says, no one. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other path. There is no other way. There is no other teaching. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, somebody might say, well, maybe Jesus was having a bad day and he misspoke. But later on in uh, Acts chapter 14, Peter reiterates the, the claim. He says, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Very exclusive and challenging. And so what do we say to this? I want to now look at uh, four objections that, and and four four things that I think uh, people say against this very bold claim. Four objections that people typically make about the exclusive nature of Christianity. And so uh, let's first look at objection one. People often say, I can't believe that Jesus is the only way. I, I, I just cannot go there because all roads lead to God. You know, in the modern world, we just believe there are so many religions we we know, we're familiar with them, and you just can't believe what Jesus said anymore. In our modern day, we just have to believe that there are many paths to God. There are many ways, there are many roads uh, to get to ultimate reality or or to get to the Father. You know, ultimate reality is sort of like a big mountain, you know. You can, uh, all the different religions, they go up a different uh, side of the mountain, but at the end of the day, they all get to the same pinnacle. They all get to the same place. So whether you're going up on the north or the south or the east or the west, 
All paths, all religions ultimately lead to God. Uh, this first uh, argument was made by, in, in 1795 by an English poet named William Blake who wrote a book uh, first making the argument called All Religions Are One. And in the book, he essentially says every religion is true in its own way and are really saying the same thing. So what do we say to that? Well, I think first we, we have to say that, you know, there is, you know, I, have, I think there is truth in saying that, you know, Christianity does not have uh, the, the monopoly on all religious truth. There are truths in other religions, uh, when Jesus says, I am the only way to God, he is not saying that every other religion is 100% false and you ought to completely just ignore them. I think that we, as Christians, even believing in this, we, we still can affirm uh, there, that there, there is beauty and there is truth in, uh, in many different places in this world. It's called common grace. And uh, I think it's great to study other religions and see where they might overlap and agree with Christianity and affirm things like truth and justice and love wherever we find them. All truth is God's truth. But at the end of the day, I think it's just not true to say that every religion is the same and that every religion ultimately gets you to the same place. Uh, there's a professor named Stephen Prothero at uh, Boston University. Uh, and he's a professor of religion, and he just got so tired of people saying, oh, all religions are the same because he studies religion. He studies comparative religion. And he knows that religions are very, very different. And he says this in his book. He said, it is an odd claim that we don't make in any other sphere, like politics or economics or education. He says, we only say this about religion. He said, and it's a strange thing when we don't make it about any other sphere of life. He says, we would never say, uh, you know, that democracy is the same thing as fascism. Oh, yes, you know, po politics, it's all the same thing. We would never say that capitalism is the same thing as communism. We would never uh, say that every single educational philosophy, yeah, they're all the same. Why would we say that about religion? And he says, when you study them, he says, the world religions are very, very different. They aren't the same, and they aren't going in the same direction. And so, uh, for example, when you look at Christianity compared to Islam, uh, Jesus Christ teaches grace, that uh, salvation is a free gift earned for us by, the, by Jesus Christ himself and given to us, to us as a gift, whereas Islam uh, teaches that you must earn and achieve through moral, uh, by, by being good morally in order to get to heaven. Grace and works. Uh, the religions differ about the afterlife, and so uh, Christianity believes in a physical bodily resurrection. We will live again in physical bodies on a renewed physical earth, whereas Hinduism teaches the escape of the body. Uh, when this life is over, you have an outer body uh, bliss that you go to. Uh, the, the religions differ on the nature of God, and so Christianity uh, believes in a personal God that you can know, whereas uh, Eastern religions believe in, a, in, a, in an impersonal force that goes through everything. And so just practically speaking, not all religions teach the exact same thing, and fundamentally, they're, they're very, very different. 
Now, Prothero goes on and says, I think people want to say that all religions are the same because they think that it's, re- it's these exclusive religious claims that are causing uh, divisions and uh, lack of peace in the world. You know, we, we've got to say all religions are the same because when religions make these exclusive claims, it causes wars and fights. But then uh, Prothero says that it's just not true that we all need to be the same in order to get along. He said, it is very possible to affirm that religions are different, that they all make exclusive truth claims, and that that we are, you know, going in different directions and still get along. In fact, that's part of life is learning to love people that are different. And so not all paths lead to God. Not even, none of the religions teach that. And a, and a better way to go is to, to look at each one of them and, and really determine which one, of, they're, they're not all saying the same thing, which one is, the, is most plausible to believe. Uh, second objection, and I'll call this objection uh, the elephant and the blind men objection. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of people say, you know, okay, so religions are different, and they're not saying the same thing. But, but what I believe is that all religions have part of the truth and none of them have all of the truth. I think that all religions are uh, partly right and partly wrong. Uh, you know, they're all kind of grasping at, uh, you know, little pieces of God, but none of them can see God perfectly. None of them have a vantage point where they see the whole picture. And usually what they use to illustrate this is a very famous illustration of uh, blind men and, and an elephant. And the illustration goes like this. So uh, several blind men, they go up to an elephant, and I imagine if, if they're blind men going up to the elephant, they probably bump into the elephant because none of them can see. And uh, one blind man grabs the trunk and says, oh, an elephant, it's long and flexible like a snake. And the other blind man is over by the leg, and he grabs onto the leg of the elephant and says, no, elephants... They're uh, short and stocky like a tree trunk. And then uh, yet another blind man is on the side and he's feeling the side saying, no, 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 elephants are large and flat like a rock. And still another blind man is grabbing onto the ears. No, the elephant is like a big leaf, you know, big and flexible. And so the illustration goes, all religions see part of the truth and none of them see all all of the truth. All of us see as in a mirror darkly. None of us see the whole thing. And I think, you know, what do we say to this? I think, well, first we got to say that, you know, there's part, that's, in some ways I want to affirm that. I think that even Paul the Apostle says we do see in part. We don't have all the answers to all the questions in life. You may be a Christian and you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, but this doesn't mean that you know everything or that you might not have questions and difficulties with your faith and things that you're, you just don't know yet, I and mean, you're waiting, you know, until glory to figure out. But I think at the end of the day, this illustration doesn't work, and, and Leslie Newbingham, he was a, um, he had a great uh, response to this, this illustration. He was a, a missionary to India, and then he came back to Britain and became a pastor in, in England. And he said over and over again, people gave me this illustration. Yes, religion is like the blind man and the elephant, and every religion sees part of the truth, but nobody sees the whole pictures, the, the, the whole picture. No, all religions see part of the truth, but nobody has a monopoly on, on seeing, having a vantage point where you get the whole thing. And this is what Nubium said. He, he, it finally dawned on him. He said, he said, the only way you could know that none of the blind men have a grip on the entire reality of the elephant is if you see the whole elephant. 
The only way you could even tell the story of the blind man and the elephant is if you saw the whole picture. You can only tell about the blind man if you can see. The only way you could possibly know that all religions see part of the truth is if you assume that you see all of the truth, which is the very thing you say that no religion has got. So do you see what he's saying? And even to tell that story, you have to be, you're claiming that you see the whole picture. And then Newbingham concludes, there is an appearance of humility in the protestation that the truth is much greater than any one of us can grasp. But it is not. We have to ask, what is the absolute vantage ground from which you claim to be able to relativize the absolute claims that these different scriptures are making? In other words, the illustration backfires on the users. And the fact of the matter is is that all of us make exclusive truth claims. You say, well, I believe all religions are, are relative and everybody has part of the truth. Well, that itself is a claim that you're making, that you're trying to convince people of, that you think is right. Every single one of us makes these claims. And so again, the, the question becomes, which one is the right one? Which one is the most compelling? Which version of ultimate reality has the most weight? Objection number three. Uh, and this, I've called this one the culture determines belief objection. And so there are many people that say, you know, uh, you know religious beliefs are all culture, culturally uh, determined. The, the only reason why you find a certain religious belief plausible is because you grew up in a certain culture and a certain family. And so in other words, uh, we all grew up in the, I didn't grow up in the South. <laughs> Some of us grew up in the South. And because, you know, because of your family of origin, because of being born here and, and living here, you're going to most likely find Christian belief plausible. Whereas if you grew up in Morocco, uh, you know, growing up in that environment, you might instead find Islam and, and being a Muslim more plausible. And so the objection goes, all religious claims are relative, nobody knows the truth, it's all culturally determined. I remember a girl that uh, I met in divinity school, and uh, the, both, the two of us did a hospital chaplaincy together where we were learning how to be pastors and going into hospital rooms and, and talking to patients. And I remember one time I was with her in the room, and, and she, a, a patient was asking about Jesus and asking about how to find God. And she said, you know what? She says, just go your own path. She said, yes, I'm a Christian, but, but you need to find your own way, and and really, it's all up to you, whatever you whatever, whichever way you want to go to. And when we left the room, I said, well, aren't you a Christian? How come you didn't tell the man about Jesus? And she said, Brent, I believe that my religion is culturally, uh, it's, it's, it's culturally uh, shaped. She said, she said, I don't really believe it necessarily. I do, I, the only reason why I'm a Christian is because I grew up in Ohio. If I grew up somewhere else, I probably would believe something else. I said, but you're, you're training to be a pastor. And she said, well, you know, I I believe in just being a a good person and doing right, but at the end of the day, all beliefs are culturally determined. Um, Alvin Plantinga uh, makes a response to this, and he said one time, uh, he was, uh, he's a, Alvin Plantinga is a professor um, in a university, he studies philosophy, he was born to a Dutch Christian family in Michigan. And he said, one time a student came up to him and said, you know, the only reason why you're a Christian is you were born in Michigan to a Dutch family. And he says, I'm an agnostic. And I just think that your belief is culturally determined. 
And uh, Plantinga says that this kid uh, grew up in um, California, almost to say that if you grew up in California, you're going to be an agnostic, which I find really offensive, having grown up in California. But Plantinga, Plantinga looked back at the guy and he said, you know what, it may be true that if I was born in Morocco, I might be Muslim instead of a Christian. But he says, if you grew up in Morocco, you might be a Muslim instead of an agnostic. And here's the point. The simple fact that where we were born impacts what we believe does not give us a free pass from having to seek and discern where the truth lies. As Tim Keller says, we must all do the hard work of asking which affirmations about God, human nature, and spiritual reality are true and which are false. We will have to base our life on some answer to that question. Sure, it might be easier to believe in Christianity if you were born here. But at the end of the day, wherever you were born, there is truth, and we have a responsibility to seek out the truth wherever it lies. Let me look at a fourth objection. Are are you all still with me here? Okay, fourth objection, and, and I'll call this the arrogance and violence objection. And it goes like this. People say that, you know, you make an exclusive truth claim and to believe that your religion is right, to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way is going to lead somebody to be arrogant and violent. If you think you're right and everybody else is wrong, doesn't this mean that you're going to be an arrogant person who looks down on other people who haven't found the truth like you have? What do we say to that? Well, I think it is true that there are many fundamentalist people who believe uh, in, in the exclusivity of Christianity, who are very arrogant. And there are many people in this world that because of the, the, their beliefs and their very narrow beliefs have become violent. Think of Islamic terrorists. Think even back in the, the Middle Ages when we had the uh, Inquisition and the Crusades. There were all sorts of, of, of violence and, and terrible things that people did in the name of exclusive religion. And so that can be true. And there's probably some of you in this room this morning, and maybe you're not a Christian, and you've just, you've encountered some pretty mean Christians in your day. You know, some zealous person who came at you and and wanted to, you know, almost bang, bang the Bible over your head and force you into conversion. I think it is true that sometimes fundamentalism can make you that way. But I would argue that it doesn't always have to. And I think what matters is, is what is your fundamental? What is the narrow claim that you've got? Because that makes all the difference. Uh, Tim Keller tells a story about Kathy, his wife. And Tim Keller looked at her and he said, do you think that fundamentalists are always mean? Do you think they're always arrogant? And she says, actually, it depends on what their fundamental is. And she said, if your fundamental is a man dying on the cross for his enemies that shouldn't make you arrogant and it shouldn't make you violent. You think about Jesus. Jesus was so narrow. I mean, look at this claim. It is, it is so stunning and, it, and it's, he says, I am the truth and no one comes to the Father but by me. But the opposite of that, on the other side of that, is anyone, anybody who comes to me, anybody who wants to, anybody who wants to come to the Father, my arms are open and I'll welcome anybody who comes. The most fascinating thing about Jesus he was, is he was so narrow, but when you look at his life, he was so inclusive. 
and he welcomed prostitutes and he welcomed lepers uh, to his table and, and he ate with people that it was not okay to eat with. Jesus was incredibly inclusive. He was incredibly welcoming. And he offered the way of grace. He offered salvation as a gift. The one way of salvation is a gift that you cannot earn. And what that means is that in order to receive it, you've got to admit, I'm a sinner and I'm broken and I don't know the way and I need Jesus Christ to save me. You see, this should make you more humble, not more arrogant. And again, on the cross, he offered forgiveness to his enemies, setting out the, the one way that, that a Christian ought to, to relate to people that are different and people that have wronged them. You ought to forgive and love. Do you see, it depends what your fundamental is. And if your fundamental is a man dying on the cross for his enemies, that should make you more open and more loving and more gracious. Example, uh, several years ago, 2006, do you remember the shooter um, went into the Amish school in Lancaster, Pennsylvania? And he went into this school and he shot 10 children, five of them died, five of them lived. And then the man turned the gun on himself and he, and he shot himself, committed suicide. And it made headline news the way the Amish responded to the shooter's family. At the shooter's funeral, 40 Amish showed up and then one, one of the fathers of a child who was killed went up to the mother of the shooter and gave her a hug. And people were astounded by that. Now, Amish are pretty fundamentalist by anybody's definition, right? Very narrow. But did their fundamentalism lead them to be arrogant? No, it caused them to reach out to their enemies. There was an interview on NPR where they interviewed the mother of the shooter, and they asked her, you know, man, what, how did this affect you? And, and she responded this way. She said, I will never forget the devastation caused by my son, says 65-year-old Terry. But one of the fathers the other night, he said, none of us would ever have chosen this. But the relationships that we have built through it, you can't put a price on that. And their choice to allow life to move forward, she says, was quite a healing balm that the world needs to hear. And she's saying the one way of Christianity, the one way of this man who gave his life for others, actually made these Amish folks become more loving and more inclusive. And so those are the four objections, and um, hopefully you're still all awake, and I know I haven't answered everybody's questions, but these have helped me as I've sought to navigate how to hold on to Jesus the narrow way in the modern world. And I want to end with a challenge, because I think at the end of the day, the, the exclusivity of Jesus is not merely an intellectual challenge. I don't think it's something that you just need to figure out in your head. I think Jesus being the only way is very much a personal challenge for all of us. And when Jesus said this in John 14, I think it was first and foremost meant to give comfort to people and to offer a challenge to people. You see, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, remember, he was about to die. And he's looking at his followers who are just, their lives are falling apart. And the one that they had followed for three years says, I'm, says, I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And they're like, what, what do you mean you're going away? And, and how are we supposed to find hope in all of this? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Almost as if to say, trust me. 
I know this is narrow and I know it's hard to believe, but trust me. He's looking at Thomas and he's saying, put your exclusive trust in me. You see, this is a very personal challenge, isn't it? You know, as my old pastor used to say, Jesus wants us to put all our eggs in his basket. Put all of your eggs in the Jesus basket, forsaking all other ways of salvation and giving yourself completely to me. You know, some people just want to cover all of their bases. I've got my crystals, and I've got Jesus, and I've got the menorah. If one of them doesn't work, I'll get there. But see, this is not the challenge of Christianity. The challenge of Christianity is forsaking all other ways and give your, all of your trust, put all of your weight, put all of your life on Jesus Christ as your exclusive object of trust. Because he says, I am the life, and you're not going to find life anywhere else. And somebody says, I can't do that. I, I, that limits me too much. I want to keep my op- options open. I can't just close myself off and trust only Jesus. I want you to say that you're already doing it. The human heart is almost naturally exclusive. You will have some object of exclusive ultimate trust. And what is it for you? You're already on a way. You're already looking for, to something as your truth and your life. And maybe that thing is money. Oh, you wouldn't say it out loud, but maybe you, you, in your heart, functionally, you think money is going to save me. Or, or maybe that thing for you is career success. If I only get this, then I'll have life. Or maybe that thing for you is a relationship or romantic love. You know, the challenge of Jesus was always forsake all your other options and look for life only in me. This is the challenge. And Jesus gave it to everybody who came to him. And so do you remember that there was one time where a wealthy man came to Jesus and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. I've got money. I've got power. I've got achievement. Let me add some Jesus to that. And Jesus said, why don't you sell your money and follow me? He was saying, forsake your other object of trust and put your trust in me. Transfer your trust to me. Or the woman, do you remember the woman at the well where she was looking for life and romantic love and she had gone from man to man to man looking for life in romance. And Jesus said, I am the living water. I am the only source of life. You let all of that go and you give yourself to me. And do you remember Pilate? You know, even Pilate who looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? Jesus said, I've come to bring the way of truth. And Pilate said, what is truth? There is no truth. But even Pilate himself, I think, had a truth, and he had a way. And ultimately, he was trusting in power. And Jesus gives this challenge to all of us. Stop looking for life anywhere else. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Give yourself to me. Transfer your trust. Put all of your weight on me. And so here's the challenge of exclusivity. And somebody says, well, how do I know that I can trust Jesus? Well, this morning we're gonna take communion where we remind ourselves that Jesus Christ, the one who said, I am the way, the truth and the life, ultimately gave his life so that we could find it. He says, I am the only way, but I'm giving my life. I'm stretching out my hands and I'm dying on a cross so that you might be welcomed in. You could trust him to give you your life. And so uh, if the ushers would come forward, we're going to take communion.
And let me pray before we uh, get into that. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of, of truth and life. God, we pray that you would help us um, to look for our, our, our life in you. I pray, God, that you'd help us, Lord, to navigate the challenges of living in a pluralistic world. Help us, God, to be humble. Help us to be gracious. But at the same time, give us confidence, Lord, that, God, you, one man and one point in history and one culture, one ethnicity, you came in and you died on a cross to offer your life to all. Help us to see the beauty in that. This morning as we celebrate communion, I pray that you'd fill us with your life. In Jesus' name, amen.